friends to the tomb of ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I am the tomb's proprietor, Headstone P. Gravely, and here I are two captive hosts, Shrey Lawson and James Hickson. Greetings, Tomb Believers. You're listening to Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. I'm Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. And uh, we uh, have a couple comics to talk about today, but uh, first, James, we just uh, saw a bunch of news come out of Comic-Con. Right, exactly. Um, There was a lot of word about the new Eternals movie. Uh, there, we got some word and a little bit of a sneak peek from, of Taskmaster from the new Black Widow movie they're making. Yep. The Shang-Chi is going to tie into some of the Iron Man movies. Right. The, ten, the Legend of the Ten Rings, which is very exciting, I think. Uh, yeah. Um. There, there was another one, though. There, there was uh, another solo Marvel movie that is, it's going to be a long way off, but they went ahead and announced... Uh, who was going to be in it, but for some reason I just can't remember why it seemed important to me. <sighs> some motherfucker's always trying to ice skate uphill. It's Blade! Oh, right! Yes. Well, it has been announced that it's probably not going to be until Phase 5, but there is going to be a Blade Vampire Hunter MCU reboot starring Mahershala Ali. Now, hold on. Is it actually confirmed it's probably going to be part of Phase Five, or are they going to announce more Phase 4 stuff at D23? So, um, apparently, according to comicbook.com, uh, Kevin Feige says that uh, it is likely to be Phase 5. Okay. So, the other stuff that they hinted at, like Fantastic Four and X-Men, does that mean that also is Phase 5? I would imagine so. My best guess is that... Um, the Fox deal was not a sure thing when they were planning Phase 4, and so any plans for those things could only go so far because the deal wasn't in writing yet. Okay, but how can you have a Phase 4 without the Fantastic Four? Oh, I know, I know. Unless you, unless somehow the end of Phase 4 teases them. I suppose. Because one thing that's worth one thing that's worth noting is the phase four that's been announced doesn't have any major crossovers in it. True. Like there's no there's no Avengers scale movie. No. Um, the closest I guess is um, the other sort of horror monster related news, which is uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, which is a Doctor Strange Scarlet Witch team up. Yes, and we're also getting a lot of integration from Disney Plus. Absolutely, with uh, the uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, and uh, of course, What If being full of all sorts of mashups of characters we've seen in versions that we haven't. What I find interesting is interesting is they don't have a Marvel series ready to go for when Disney Plus launches in November. Right. Um, there is no, like, Titans to, to bring the, the, the service in. Which I think was a big advantage for uh, DC Universe. Yeah, that, that they launched with Titans, they had Young Justice very soon after, um, and then Doom... Like, they've, they have been 
rolling out new content one at a time, but steadily. And that's been to their advantage, I think. It's worth noting that when they when they announced Phase 3, a lot of the stuff that ended up being in Phase 3 was not announced. Like Spider-Man yes. Homecoming. Right. And Spider-Man being a Sony co-production sometimes those those movies don't get announced with the rest of the phase. Right. Which is probably why we did not get a Spider-Man sequel announced as part of this announcement. Right, right. Um, and yes, I, I agree that the Phase 4, as listed, seems a little light. Yeah. Um, and, and that I have a feeling they will flesh things out uh, in the coming year. Somebody was like, oh my god, we're getting seven movies in 2021. I'm like, no. We are getting a couple movies and a few TV shows. Right, right. Because uh, I guess movie-wise, Black Widow, Eternals, Shang-Chi, uh, uh, Doctor Strange, and Thor. Yeah. But back to Blade. Yeah. Uh, of course, they've announced Mahershala Ali, Oscar winner. Right. Mahershala Ali. Who apparently personally requested this role. Yes. Apparently after... Uh, just after Green Book won Best Picture somehow. Right. Uh, he contacted Kevin Feige and was like, hey, I really want to do Blade. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's kind of perfect casting. It is. But does it mean that Blade was already in plans and he heard about it? Or he just kind of came out of blue and says, hey, sometime down the road, I feel like you guys are going to want to do Blade, and when you do, I want it. Right. That's a that's a good question, um, and I, I don't know that they would ever admit to the answer one way or the other. True, um, they are a little bit cagey about the behind the scenes process. Right. Well, because the thing is, is for the longest time, people speculated that that would be the next logical set of interconnected series, a la the Defenders, would be to do the supernatural characters: Ghost Rider, Blade, Moon Knight, like a bunch of those. Okay. Um, that was something that, I don't know that anyone at Marvel had ever said that, but it was something that among sort of film and comic reporting and speculating, people seemed to think that that was a next logical step if you weren't going to do more of the Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones stuff. Right, and I think for a while there we thought all of that stuff was going to end up on something like Hulu. Right. If, if not Disney+, Plus, then Hulu, because they announced the Ghost Rider thing, and they announced uh, the Hellstrom thing. Yeah, so I think both you and I are kind of like, okay, I guess all the supernatural stuff that isn't Doctor Strange is getting shunted off to um, Hulu. Right. Although, speaking of getting shunted off to Hulu, a project that is getting sent over there is New Mutants. Oh, so that that, that is announced? I thought, didn't you tell me that it looked like it, it was going to Hulu? I, I speculated that because it was not, like, Marvel did not mention the existence of it at all at Comic-Con. Okay. Like, because officially, officially, it is still supposed to be released in theaters at some point, but the the first movie poster for it listed a release date that has already come and gone. Okay. Like, and it, they have, they have done reshoots upon reshoots and pushed it back and pushed it back and there's still no sign of it being released and that was even back when fox hadn't uh, been sold to, to disney so at this point i can't imagine marvel wants this thing in theaters even like regardless of whether it's good or not at this point just because of 
the perception of it being not great. Okay, so the most recent stunt thing I saw is from back in May, and it says that current at that time it wasn't being shunted off to Hulu, but they were doing reshoots and had delayed it until 2020. Mm. So that's a well, that's in May. Things can change a lot with a few months. Right. Well, it, it certainly uh, did not come up at all during Comic Con. No, it did not. Feige did not mention it in his panel. Um, there was no kind of publicity for it. Um, which, which, let I mean, admittedly, is odd for an ostensibly completed film. True. Was there any kind of was there any kind of coverage of non non MCU Marvel projects there? I don't think so. They didn't mention Deadpool either, which that would have been the most obvious one to do something with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did not. Other than, like, in passing, making reference to mutants and the Fantastic Four as things that were coming. True. Uh, there was nothing There was nothing solid mentioned. They did mention that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s next season would be its last. Yes, yes. And as everyone knows, that isn't actually an MCU thing. Well, I mean, well, apparently neither is Netflix, since... Uh, Marshall Ali is Blade now. Right? So, yeah, we haven't even talked about that. He played, oh, goodness, who did he play on um, uh, Cottonmouth Cotton and Luke Cage? Right. Yeah. So. That was basically one big F you to uh, Ike Perlmutter and Marvel Television. Right. Which, we can all agree, the big problem with Marvel Television is Ike Perlmutter. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's be honest, Perlmutter's an asshole. Well, like, you notice... The minute that they got rid of him having anything to do with the MCU proper, suddenly we get um, Captain Marvel, we get uh, the announcement of a Black Widow movie, like, all of the sort of things that Perlmutter had some very deeply ingrained prejudices about suddenly no longer were an issue. Yeah, and uh, we won't get into why Mike Perlmutter was a not a proponent or advocate for such projects, you could probably draw your own conclusions. There is a singular and obvious similarity between a Captain Marvel project and a Black Widow project. Back to Blade, though. Um, one person who should not be left out of any talking about uh, Blade as a character is the OG Daywalker, and that's Wesley Snipes, who played Blade in three uh, movies... Uh, released from the late 90s through the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, and and understandably, because let's face it, lots of people have fond memories of those movies. Um, the first two of them, I think, are really fun action movies. Um, the third one is a movie. Um, but in any case, people have fond memories. And so uh, there was some pushback online on uh, social media about someone other than Wesley Snipes taking over that role but uh wesley snipes did put out a statement uh by way of comicbook.com um where he said the following quote to all the daywalkers losing their minds right now chillax although this news comes as a surprise it's all good such is the business of entertainment much peace to the mcu crew always a fan honor and respect to the grandmaster stan congratulations and salam to Mahershala Ali, a beautiful and talented artist whose expressions I look forward to experiencing for many years to come. Inshallah, we will work. We will someday work together. Most importantly, to my loyal fans, 
The incredible outpouring of love is overwhelming. I'm grateful for the never-ending support. So, na fret, na worry. It's not the end of the story. Welcome to the Daywalker Click. Which is a fairly magnanimous gesture on his part. I think um, for a long time there was speculation that if Blade were to come into an MCU, Wesley Snipes would play him again. As recently as 2017, he expressed interest in reprising the role in the MCU. And at one point, I think he had even claimed to have had some talks with someone, either at Disney or Marvel, about becoming involved in the MCU. Um, Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know. With any time an actor is the one saying they've been having talks, take it with a grain of salt. Because that could just be them trying to get the story out in the press. Yeah, yeah. Um case in point uh remember when uh vin diesel was going to be black bolt oh yeah i mean he has gone on to have a prestigious and very important role in the marvel mcu oh yeah for sure but he he generated a lot of that pre-casting buzz all on his own just by telling the right people that he was having talks which is fun but again um kevin feige never had any intention of making an inhumans movie no, 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 no. That's a that's another of Perlmutter's hangups. Which why does he have a hang up on the Inhumans? Um, because they're the next best thing to the X Men, according to him. Okay, so let me ask another question. Why are we getting an Eternals movie? Um, because well, c- can I can I confess something? Please. I have no idea what the Eternals is. Like I know it's a Jack Kirby creation. And that it's like a Marvel cosmic thing, and that somehow Thanos is connected, and that's all I've got. Okay, so I've only read the of the Eternals. I've only read the Neil Gaiman series. I started that one and could not finish it. Well, it's some pretty terrible John Romita artwork. Sorry, yeah. J- John Romita Junior artwork. Uh, right. Okay, right. and fans, something I'm going to confess right here and now: I am not a fan. Of John Romita Jr. anymore. You're not down with the JRJR? Uh, no. Uh, his early stuff is great. I love a lot of his early stuff. But in recent years, John Romita Jr.'s artwork has really gotten ugly, in my opinion. Everybody is very blocky and almost seems like they're made out of plastic. It's a weird feeling for me. And some of that, I think, is the trends that were going on in early 2000s to mid-2000s coloring techniques. Because the, with the wrong coloring and inking, any art can look plasticky. But his style in particular does not lend itself to the way that comics are colored and inked currently. Yeah, but about the Eternals, they're basically the Inhumans and okay. the New Gods. I, I was going to say, the other thing that I always just sort of inferred about the Eternals was what if Jack Kirby created the New Gods, but at Marvel? That's basically true. Uh, basically, he wanted to look, look at a lot of the same themes that he had done with uh, the New Gods when he went back over to Marvel after he had us falling out with DC. Um, and basically, the New Gods were kind of a response to, I want to keep on doing the Inhumans, mm-hmm. because Jack Kirby had a big um, thing for... Uh, these lost civilizations going back to ancient times. Yeah, like the big, like the the juxtaposition of mythology and science fiction. Right, which is great and all, but how many of them are you going to have in one continuity? <laughs> right, right. 
Oh, cause, and that's where I start to get lost, is the Eternals and the Celestials and all of... It, it all starts to jumble together for me. Yeah, I, I kind of have a feeling... I know a little bit more about the Celestials because I read Earth-X back in the day. Right, right. Uh, but do not ask me to take a quiz. Right. Um, yeah, it's weird. Love the New Gods and the, the various spinoffs of that, but never got into the Eternals. I think I think you're with a lot of people on that. I know eventually I'll get to them on my Marvel read-through. How crazy is it that we could potentially end up in a scenario where there is um, an MCU Eternals movie competing with a New Gods movie that's directed by Ava DuVernay, written by Tom King? Is it possible that's why they're doing the Eternals movie? It is entirely possible. That or that they're, they're looking... It could be they are searching for something to be the next Guardians. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a vaguely science fiction-y thing that's ensemble-driven with a diverse cast. Like, it, it checks all the right boxes for the sorts of things that have given Marvel some success. Another possibility is they wanted a project they can go full Jack Kirby on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I think that's what Kevin Feige kind of championed at Comic-Con, where he's like, this is a very Jack Kirby project. Mm-hmm. What's worth noting, however, is that when they announced the cast for Eternals, this property is so little known that most people in the audience didn't realize they gender-swapped most of the roles. Right, right. Because Selma Hayek's character, uh, Macaroni, <laughs> I'm not sure what his name is. Um, Hold up. Which, the Eternals' names... Is a thing are a thing that that I've always gotten a kick out of, even though I know almost nothing about the characters. Um, Macari in the early Jack Kirby. Oh yeah. no, Macari is Lauren Ridloff. Uh, Selma Hayek is Ajax. Uh, Icarus, uh, Ajax, uh, Cersei, not that Cersei. Um, well, Domo, the Cersei that was part of the Avengers. Ma- right, right, right. Actually, right, right. Cersei is not in the Eternals movie. Interesting. I th- I think so because you know she was a if if I had to name an Eternal she'd be the one I name because <laughs> she was I know Cer- I know Cersei she was in the Avengers um, like one of my favorite things that I do know about Jack Kirby's Eternals is the character of Icarus which is spelled with a K so I K A R I S uh, do do you know what his uh, his human um, secret identity is no Ike Harris. I know Makara. You remember that um, Marvel The Lost Generation miniseries that I like so much and you guys insisted didn't actually exist? Yes. He played a speedster superhero back in the 1950s in that series. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, that That's some straight up like DC Comics legacy stuff right there. Yeah. That's some like some Max Mercury type stuff right there. Mm-hmm. Is it bad that I kind of, I maybe know more of the obscure, well, okay, I would say the Eternals are super obscure. Yes. I I would say that I know many obscure Marvel characters. Sure. But I also think if you were to ask me to name some new gods and name some Eternals, I could name more new gods than Eternals. Oh, most definitely. Um, Although, to name drop another obscure Marvel thing, how crazy is it that the Unimind could be a thing that characters talk about in an MCU movie. Is that... Wait, 
the Unimind isn't the Nova thing, is it? No, it's an Eternals thing. Um, it's uh, a ritual that the Eternals do. Uh, right, and Thanos is an Eternal. Thanos is yep. a um, yep. is a um, um, Titan Eternal. Yep. Because that's right. Because there's because there's different like subspecies right. of Eternals. And Star Fox is an Eternal, and their their daddy's an Eternal, and yep. Okay, I'm remembering things now. <laughs> <laughs> like it's funny the bits and pieces that you glean from comics that don't actually star the Eternals. Yeah. Okay. Um, because. Because some of this stuff comes up in, like, Annihilation. Uh, you're right. Okay, I love Star Fox, his rapey ass. Oh. <laughs> that She-Hulk run was so good, I can't even deny it. Uh, but, that said, uh, actually, for a big, epic, crossover, phase-capping uh, event, you could do worse than adapting Annihilation. Ooh, that would be crazy. Like, get into some Annihilus stuff? Yeah, because wait a minute, there is no way Black Panther 2, Captain Marvel 2, and Guardians of the Galaxy 3 are not going to be part of Phase 4. And those are all confirmed. Yes, those all have to be more things uh, they're going to be revealing at D23. Like, they all have writers, directors, and are in various stages of production. Okay, no, there has to be more we're, get, more, more we're getting at D23. Most likely, yes. This was, they just, they, it makes sense. Comic-Con, at least Hall H Comic-Con has become the mainstream for nerdy pop culture movie stuff. And so if you want to make a splash with the diversity of your casting for the Eternals and make a splash about the new Blade movie, because that's a character people know, like it makes sense to do those at Comic-Con. And then to fill in the gaps with the stuff that people are already hyped for at your other shows. Also, by revealing stuff like more information about the Fantastic Four... Uh, mm-hmm. More information about X Men, um, information about mm-hmm. stuff like Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Guardians of the Galaxy at D twenty three is you will dominate the news cycle because yeah. there's a lot of stuff yeah. we haven't talked about that came out of um, San Diego Comic Con. Like they, there's going to be another big crossover for the Arrowverse, which is going to have Burt Ward in it. Brandon Roth's going to reprise his role yep. as Superman. Um, yep. The Picard trailer dropped for <laughs> yeah. I still haven't watched the most recent trailer. Um, because, uh, the girlfriend has not, uh, gotten far enough along in Star Trek to recognize some of those characters or know the significance of some things, so I've not watched that trailer with her. You are a better man than I, Gunga Den. Um, because we're still on season one of Voyager. Wow. Which is season three of DS9. Wow. Because we are watching in uh, order of air date. Wow! Which means that right now we're which means that right now we're alternating DS Nine Voyager. I could not do that because D- um, in terms of in terms of movies, she's seen up to generations. She hasn't seen First Contact yet. Nope. Oh my god! Because uh, we haven't gotten that far yet. Because because a certain TNG character has not yet shown up on DS Nine. Right, and there is a clear point where. First contact they reference falls in, in in the DS9 continuity. They they actually address it. Okay. Yep. 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 You're, you're right. <laughs> Damn. Wow. And also, she has no idea what a seven of nine is. Oh, sweet summer child. She's gonna be traumatized <laughs> by first contact. 
Oh yeah, no, it is it is the closest Star Trek has ever come to a horror movie. A really good one. Like when I was a kid, oh, yeah. my uncle took me to that and I had to leave in the first ten minutes. I saw that movie in theaters three times. You were a braver kid than me. I I, I was all in on first contact. Uh I I saw it with my parents, I saw it with a group of friends, and I saw it with one of my middle school teachers. So, speaking of horror, we should probably talk about the Marvel horror comics we are going to cover in this episode. I mean, probably. <laughs> we've, we've got a couple of them this, this week. Uh, we're looking at uh, a, at least one story from uh, a monster mag that we haven't covered before, Monsters Unleashed. Uh, we're looking at uh, volume one, number two. Yep. Uh, and then we also have the first of a two-part story in Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, the issue today is volume one, number 124. Right. And do, do, do we want to tell them who we're going to be talking about in that story? We got Man-Wolf, y'all. Motherfucking Man-Wolf! Oh, yeah. Uh, something to really look forward to. But um, thank you for sitting through our <laughs> San Diego Comic-Con <laughs> prattling. Yeah, no, it is exciting. This is one of a handful of times of year when... All of the comic book, pop culture, nerdy news just washes over us, and and it's kind of awesome to get to uh, gush about this stuff and speculate about what's coming next. So, uh, hopefully you guys are excited about this news as we are. Um, there's a lot of stuff that directly relates to some of the characters that we talk about every week. It, it should be fun. Yeah. Speaking of fun, we'll be right back with Monsters Unleashed. Volume 1, Issue 2, right after this message. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert! All crew members report to battle stations! Red alert! Shields up! What shields? You start fleet officers! Now start acting like it! Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. I failed again. How about me, Master? How are you today? Fine. Well then, I would like to tell Teddy you the story. The world's first animated storytelling bear. It's alive. Now available at stores everywhere. It's alive. Welcome back to Doom of Ideas. My name is James Hickson, and we're starting our coverage this week with a story from Monsters Unleashed number one, issue two. Cover date on this one is September 1973. The story is titled Frankenstein, 1973. Writer is Gary Friedrich. Penciler is John Buscema. Inker is Sid Shores. Editor 
is Roy Thomas. Neurosurgeon Derek McDowell and his fiancée Tisha tour a rundown two-bit carnival. Tisha complains about the dirty attractions, but Derek ignores her. Seems the young doctor has only one thing in mind, and he finds it preserved in a glass case in the freak tent, the Frankenstein monster. Tisha is horrified by the grotesque body and even more so by Derek's fascination with it. Unbeknownst to Derek, she has read his notes on the creature, recapping issues 1-4 of Monster of Frankenstein. Please see our previous coverage. But before, had only thought it a kind of macabre fairy tale. Later that night, after a failed attempt to buy the beast from the carnival, a bitter Derek assaults Tisha. This sets Tisha's resolve as after Derek has fallen asleep, she slips from the room back to the carnival, determined to destroy the creature. She pours gasoline on the unmoving monster, but when she tosses in her match, the resulting explosion of flames sets her ablaze as well, sending her screaming from the tent. Awakened by the intense heat of the fire, the monster of Frankenstein shambles out of the flames, only to be greeted by the panicking firefighters and the hoses, as well as policemen's bullets. Trying to escape the deluge, the creature attempts to climb the Ferris wheel, only to have the riot squad, which looks suspiciously like the National Guard, fire on him with a bazooka. The resulting explosion sends the monster plummeting into a power station, causing another explosion and leaving the creature apparently dead in the rubble. So this is definitely a little bit of a change of pace from our previous Frankenstein comics. Right, being set in the modern day. Right. Um, just a quick note about the title. Uh, there is kind of a tradition of, uh, of titles like this. Uh, in the late 50s, there was a movie called Frankenstein 1970, um, which was uh, about Baron Frankenstein having suffered torture and disfigurement for refusing to cooperate with Nazis, um, and then building a new monster uh, by way of atomic energy. Nice. Um, yeah, and then uh, there was also uh, Frankenstein 80, which was released in the early 70s, about a year or so before this uh, magazine was published, um, which was uh, an Italian film, but it was a, a more of a standard retelling of of the Frankenstein tropes. What really jumps out at me about this story is the very loving relationship between Derek and Tisha. Oh, he is an asshole. He is a complete asshole to her. But she's not much better. Hmm. They seem to have an extremely abusive relationship. They do. Like they they like Now, he's the one who bo- who eventually becomes physical with that abuse, which is incredibly problematic and upsetting. Yes. But, yeah, like, they clearly don't have a whole lot in common and don't seem to like each other very much. No. Like, every time they talk to each other, it's some form of argument. And Mm -hmm. she's not willing to go to a carnival with him to check out reports as monster. She's just concerned that it's really dirty and she doesn't want to be there. Right. And then she's willing to to resort to arson to... Win him back? Apparently. Although, apparently she already won him back with sex after he backhanded her. It's not great. (laughs) No, it it really isn't. Um, and I also was sort of struck by the art in the story. Um, the the visuals are are very striking, especially anytime you get a good look at the monster. Uh, but, uh, I, I, I couldn't help but think 
a lot of the panels felt very static. Even when there's movement happening, it, it, it feels very like a painting or a wood carving or something. You know, like you don't get a lot of dynamic movement from panel to panel. Okay, I could see that. Um, and that may have something to do with the ma- the the aesthetic of it being a magazine story instead of a comic in the traditional sense. Um, but I do really love uh, the the depiction of the monster, which is maybe the most Karloff-like that he's ever looked in a Marvel comic. Yeah, I would agree. I'm definitely seeing more Karloff here uh, than I would with Mike Blue's pencils. Yes. We have seen... But it's, st- but it's still visually very much the same monster. Yes. Like, even without the extended flashback to comics we've already read. Uh, like, it... He's wearing the same outfit. He has the same sort of look. Now, okay, let me ask you something about the art. Would you say that Bushima's artwork on that Tales of the Zombie story were this static? You know, I don't think so. I I'm, I don't remember thinking that at the time. Uh, yeah, me neither. But I can see what you're saying here with these panels kind of seeming static. It, it doesn't help that it feels like we're not getting a full story here. Yes, there's also that. That... that uh, it, it seems like sort of an excuse to rehash the first few issues of the Monster of Frankenstein comic, mm-hmm. and then and then have a confrontation between the monster and the police in the present. Yeah. In fact, the the back half of the story, or at least the last few pages of the story, are basically the last few pages of the Living Mummy story. Oh shit, you're right. The police show up, they attack, they blow him up, it gets electrocuted. Right, and we're left with that cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, the the ending of this is the same as the, the origin story for the living mummy. Crap, you're right. Who drew the living mummy? Um, that's a good question. Uh, first appeared in Supernatural Thrillers number five, which is what we read. Uh, Buckler. Okay, so it's at least not the same team. team. No. Yeah, because that was, that was Gerber and Buckler. Right. And this was written by Friedrich. So yeah. Friedrich and Bushima. It's it's just they're they're definitely playing with similar tropes. Okay. But you have to admit, the the last few pages are very similar in terms of what happens, even if the art is different. True. And I will say the the the, the antagonist in Living Mummy were a lot more interesting. Yes. Yes. And we also had a great villain in the form of Doctor Scarab. Right, right. <laughs> the gr- the greatest yeah. Criminal mastermind of our time. <laughs> um, so I guess what this means, though, is that we're going to have the the Monster of Frankenstein comic sort of continuing in the relative past with the serialized stories either set in the present or maybe jumping around in time. Maybe, but I well, I know we get because this this becomes an ongoing this becomes an ongoing thing in Monsters Unleashed, right? Monster of Frankenstein continues appearing. I think so, and I think next issue we also get uh, Damon Hellstrom too. Right, right. Somehow, even though he's okay, we haven't even covered him on the podcast yet. Right. Um, it does seem it does seem like an interesting sort of way to do it though when you've got a character whose history spans so much time, sort of like what uh, was done with Dracula, where you've got Tomb of Dracula set in one time period, and then the the Dracula Lives magazine allows them to explore other eras of the character's existence. True, and what what they've done with Tomb of Dracula is they've woven all that together very nicely. 
Right. Yeah, my, my concern here is the lack of Plug's involvement seemingly at all with this magazine. Yeah, the, the thing that was nice about um, Dracula Lives and Tomb of Dracula is that it felt very much like we were getting a full story with all the right. Dracula stuff we got. It, all of it felt complete. This doesn't feel complete. This feels like the first 30 minutes of a movie. Right. And it's like, come back to the next episode for the next 30 minutes. Or even um, the uh, Tales of the Zombie, where you had cliffhangers, but you got multiple zombie stories throughout the course of the magazine. So by the if you read from cover to cover, you end up getting a complete story. Yeah. Dang. Like, that's the thing. They could have, if they had opened with this as part one, and then maybe given us a second part at the end of the magazine, uh, that would have been nice. Damn. I keep on coming back to how good that Tales of the Zombie magazine was. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely the most uh, complete and, and coherent, unified, I guess would be the word. It's the most unified of the magazines we've looked at. And one of the effects of that was, like, you got attached to those characters very quickly. Yeah, and and... and are fully prepared for if any of those characters start showing up in other books. Yeah, which I'm looking forward to. It, it'll be interesting. It'll too. be interesting to see how they do with Frankenstein, as far as juggling the time streams. I, I I really feel like the the regular book is put in the modern day at some point. It is. I mean, I'm I'm fairly certain it is. So that'll be interesting. But really, yes, I think that might be all we have, all we have to say about this story. Yeah, there's not a lot to it in terms of content like i say it's notable for bashema doing the frankenstein monster yeah um and that those last few pages of monster versus very well-armed police extremely well-armed uh that that's that's sort of exciting but like i say it's nothing that we haven't seen before in uh in living mummy yeah i mean we want to talk about the militarization of police forces nowadays somebody give this this police force in podunk in the middle of nowhere a bazooka right and for some reason they responded to a fire at a carnival by showing up with a bazooka or the SWAT team got there that quickly because they do mention we're gonna call in the SWAT they, team they do call for the riot squad the riot squad yeah. which has a bazooka what kind right. of riots you've been having over there oh man uh, this will fix them hippies <laughs> state who uh, so does she die at the end i don't think we even find out if she's dead no she's alive she is horribly burned yeah. like she's going into surgery like nothing resolves at the end of this it ends on a question mark but we don't know if she lives or dies uh the the husband boyfriend whatever never finds out what happened to her because he's still getting dressed yeah, he... and 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 we don't know if the monster is dead or not yeah he he's over there like Ah, uh, stupid dame, leave me just when I need her. Basically thinking... I'm gonna go buy that yeah, monster. basically thinking, oh, I want to wake up in the middle of the night and have sex. Because, um, you know, it's owed right. me as a man. And then... Right. He's like, oh, she's not here. What a useless dame. He doesn't, use, he doesn't say dame, but if nowadays he's saying something even more vulgar. <laughs> and... Right. He's like, okay, gonna go steal the monster now. Because I don't think he's right. going to go right. buy it. I think he's going to go steal it. Um, the last thing he says is have to convince the carnival to sell the monster to me and when i do the world will be mine for the taking but he already tried to do that 
Right. What makes him think he's going to change things? He already offered the guy every cent he had. Right. Also, okay, hold up. No. So apparently the novel Frankenstein and the movie Frankensteins are not a thing? That's what I was... Yeah, like, there is no pop cultural Frankenstein. There's only the, like, journal of the sea captain from the Mike Plug issues. <laughs> but we know that's not the case. Right, right. For instance, we know from multiple Fantastic Four issues, from multiple Hulk issues, that... X-Men. And X-Men, that, you know, the Boris Karloff Frankenstein films do exist in this continuity. Yeah, like... In that X-Men issue we read, like, the the weird alien robot thing shows up, and the X-Men are like, hey, that's a Frankenstein monster. Yep. And... <laughs> we know what that is. Ben Grimm and the Hulk have both been compared to Frankenstein, like the Boris Karloff character, by casual observers. Yep. Yep. I think Ben Grimm was even himself referred to himself as looking like a Frankenstein. Yep. So, I don't buy that... Tisha must be, like, the most pop-culturally blind person in reality. Right. But even, um... I- I'm sorry. I didn't bother to learn their names. The the, the jerk Derek. guy. Like, even... Yeah, sure, Derek. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he looks and acts like a Derek. That makes yeah. sense. Sorry. No offense to any listeners named Derek. I apologize. Uh, but, um... Even he seems to think that, like, he has made some huge discovery that heat or electricity will revive the monster and i'm pretty sure there have already been multiple universal and hammer films that bear this out already it's just yeah it it's interesting seeing it how they're integrating it into the marvel universe and it's gonna be interesting interesting to see how that goes going forward because i have a hard time imagining that when spider-man meets this guy he isn't going to be like it's like something for the late show Right. Uh, so, we can talk a little bit about the other stories in the magazine. Um, they're not really covering any of our main characters, so we're not going to go do a deep dive. Uh, there's a really good story in here called Lifeboat that okay. I enjoyed. Um, script by Jerry Conway. Uh, art by um, Jesus P- um, Blasco. And it's basically about a um, sur- some survivors on a lifeboat off the Titanic. And they, and one of the um, survivors is a gentleman who his butler, uh, he's like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down with the ship. And the butler's like, no, you're not. Butler knocks him out and for, throws his unconscious body into a lifeboat and goes on with him. And he explains why did you do that? I should have been allowed to die. And he explains how when he was a colonial officer in India, he's British. Um, he had. Um, come upon a village that had been wiped out by other colonial forces and he meets this old man who's on the brink of death and the old man explains that um, and basically the the old man curses him as he's dying so that when he goes back to England there occurs all these mysterious deaths and he's convinced that he's turning into a monster in his sleep and he's causing these deaths and he's like, he he his his father dies. All these people in the village died. They're connected to the colonial um, mission. So he's assuming mm-hmm. that this is the this the Indian man's curse. He's str- using him to strike out at all these people. And he's like, it's better you let me to let me to have sunk with the Titanic. Who, for all we know, it could be my fault. 
because it could be the curse acting out somehow. And the end reveal of it is that um, it's not actually him that's turning into a monster. It's his butler. Oh. Because his will was too strong. But when he got back home, he realized that the butler was used to being a servant. So it would serve the curse. And um, it brutally murders the man in Ed Rails in a lifeboat. Interesting. It really was interesting, actually. I actually, I actually really enjoyed the story. One thing that's that's neat about this story is uh, the art is by uh, Jesus Blasco, okay. um, who's not particularly well known in the U.S. Um, he was a Spanish uh, artist, worked mostly in comics, um, and didn't do a lot of American stuff. He did some issues of Creepy for Warren Publishing, mm-hmm. but not not a whole lot of American credits. But um, he was pretty influential, uh, often compared to like Alex Toth, um, especially his work in the seventies. But uh, but he actually uh, was one of the original contributors to two thousand AD in the seventies. So so that's sort of where he, he sort of the European school of comics, Western sci-fi, uh, horror fantasy stuff um, in the sixties, seventies, eighties. I just liked it because it's fairly woke for a 1970s story. Really is. It's I actually liked it a lot. It's very. It doesn't romanticize colonialism like what we've seen would have seen only a few years prior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's another reprint in here called the Madman. Uh, there's a few articles on Frankenstein, both on Boris Karloff and Frankenstein's films. Right. There are some ads in here for Brother Voodoo and Mark of Satan. Looking forward to those. Yep, it's coming soon. There's another reprint from a Sword and Sorcery magazine. Um, artwork by Frank Brunner, who I, I, I swear he's done some D&D artwork. Huh, I can see that. And of course, the last story in here is one by Jerry Conway. Art by Ralph Reese, adapted from a story by Thomas M. Dish called the roaches mm-hmm. yeah and this story is really weird so there's a super racist wo- woman who's trying to find a new apartment because she doesn't like all the immigrants and foreigners that have moved into her her old apartment building but none of the apartments suit her needs because they all have roaches and part of the reason mm-hmm. she wants to move out is because she thinks all the foreigners and um so and Forth have brought roaches into her building and one night she's in her home and apparently when they put new pipes in they left a hole in her wall big enough for somebody to stick their head through into the next apartment and so she could see the the her neighbors who are portrayed as like dirty drunks and of course the they spill some wine which leaks into her apartment and she wakes up and there are cockroaches um, getting into the wine and she learns through this that she can communicate with cockroaches Yeah, and she then commands the cockroaches to go into her neighbor's apartment and eat them Yeah, and then the cockroaches say to her we love you Marsha we love you we love you and then I, she responds, I love you too, come to me, and all the cockroaches of Manhattan come to her apartment and presumably devour her. Huh. This is a really weird story. 
Um, so I feel like with just a few minor tweaks, this could be revised into the origin of the alternate universe Spider's Man. <laughs> are, are you familiar with this version of, of the Spider-Man character? Is he the one who's just a bunch of spiders and everybody's freaked out by him? Well, so, um, it is the one, uh, Spider's Man, that's spiders with an S, um, is a collective of radioactive spiders that devoured Peter Parker, but somehow absorbed part of his consciousness. And so they assume the form of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, or Spiders-Man, um, and fight crime and, uh, certainly never eat any human beings, because why would they ever do that? So, yeah. Um, then we get an ad for next issue. So, right. not Damon Hellstrom, but we do get The Man-Thing Walks Among Us. Um, a return to Monster of Frankenstein. Yeah, looks like that may be the origin, the Man-Thing issue. Yeah. I wonder if that's the reprint of the, the Lin Wein. We'll see. And then another story, which we may talk about, called The Demon of Slaughter Mansion. Mm. So, we, we probably will be talking about that in the, in the future. Right. Um, it does seem like, just looking at this one issue as an example, and it's early yet, but it does seem like Monsters Unleashed is lighter in content than some of the other mags we've looked at. Do you mean like it's a dump title? A little bit. It's like if you've got a story featuring one of the Marvel monsters that doesn't have the page count to, to justify a solo issue, it gets thrown into Monsters Unleashed. Ooh, although I realized something. This uh-huh. does not have the monsters with the speech blooms doing the introductions. No, it doesn't. Um, it's got a little bit of caption stuff. Like, it's got some stills from monster movies with some captions. Right. But... But but not the, not the like, jokey introductions that uh, some of the others have. Which, it'll be interesting to see if that carries over. Mm-hmm. Ooh, we also get an ad for the next issue of Dracula Lives, promising... Dracula versus Solomon Kane. Ooh, that should be fun. Should be real fun. I, I bet you uh, Roy Thomas had something to do with that. Uh, almost guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so, do we have anything else to say about this magazine? No, I think we have thoroughly exhausted uh, the contents of Monsters Unleashed number two. All right. So let's release the monsters and <laughs> take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 124. Tell me his name again. Thanos. I think I shall call him... Adam. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Five years and going strong. Every other week, mostly. For all of your Adam Warlock, Thanos, or Marvel Cosmic needs. Find it on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever else podcasts are available. Resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com Adam Warlock, you cannot keep leaving your philosophy books open on the floor. I always trip on them in the middle of the night on my way to the can. Begin sequencing nanotechnology. Microscopic robots are sinking by. NASA, infrared lens and 
Impact web. Check. Utilize. Stinger. Check. Deploy. Tracer. Employ. Stealth mode. Danger. Go to shift mode. Simulation of new features to combat alien aggression. Complete. Transforming beyond all bounds. Spider-Man Unlimited premiering this Saturday morning on Fox WB55. And we're back to Tomb of Ideas with our next and final issue, Amazing Spider-Man number 124. Cover date is September 1973. The title is The Mark of the Man-Wolf. It's written by Jerry Conway, pencils by Gil Kane, the inks are by John Romita and Tony Mortellaro, colorist is David Hunt, letterer is Artie Simic, and the editor is Roy Thomas. Spider-Man swings through the city, not even ten days since the deaths of both Gwen Stacy and Norman Osborn, and Peter Parker is still haunted by what has happened. He tries returning to his classes, but becomes overwhelmed by his feelings of loss and anger and he lashes out at Mary Jane and Flash Thompson. Meanwhile, J. Jonah Jameson takes a break from publishing Condemnations of Spider-Man to spend some time with his son, former astronaut John Jameson, and his fiancée, Christine. Later that evening, a man cloaked in shadow transforms into a man-wolf and attacks J. Jonah Jameson in his home. Spider-Man, still angry at the Daily Bugle's coverage, decides to pay Jameson a visit and arrives just in time to rescue him from the Man-Wolf. During the fight, Jonah recognizes the mysterious gem around the Man-Wolf's neck as the very same stone John wore earlier in the day. He orders Spider-Man not to fight the Man-Wolf again, lest he tell the police that Spider-Man led the attack on his home. However, the Man-Wolf chooses Spider-Man as his new prey, stalking him to a nearby rooftop. Peter's Spider-Sense goes crazy, but he doesn't yet see the Man-Wolf lunging at him to be continued so this issue was a lot of fun it's just it's just good old-fashioned superhero spider-man soap opera it is and i didn't realize it was so soon after the death of gwen stacy so soon that we actually get a direct reference to the last time spider-man fought a werewolf which was apparently just a few days ago yes it was last week Right, it it it, it, be, it has not even been two weeks since the death of Gwen Stacy, right? And and so, and so, like I say, there is a moment where Peter Parker, as Spider Man, says, "You know, I didn't used to believe in werewolves, but recent events have convinced me." It's interesting too because Spider Man was not suffering this much in Marvel Team Up. No, no, totally different mood. Um, yep. we uh. The first half of the issue, especially, um, is very understandably somber, angry, mournful. Uh, <clears throat> he's not in a good place. Uh, he does become a little bit more of the wisecracking Spider-Man as he fights the Man-Wolf. That back half of the issue seems a little bit lighter because it's so focused on the action. But you're right. He, he's in a different headspace than that team-up issue. Yeah, and I actually like that because it kind of seems like the fighting the villains and being Spider-Man is almost being therapeutic for him. Yeah, and he sort of says just he says something to that effect uh, at some point in the book. Yeah, where, okay, this is just a monster I could beat on. I need this right now. Um, question. Okay. Was there, but between... When we first meet John Jameson, and when Jonah recognizes the gem around the wolf's neck, 
Was there ever any confusion as to who the man-wolf was? No. Like, he is cloaked in shadow. Like, they go out of their way to not show you his face. But, like, I mean, he's wearing basically the same outfit until it rips off. Well... Uh, and, and in all of the art, he has that gem around his neck. Okay. Well, you don't actually see the gem until page 12, because it's not shown in the transformation. It's not shown when he comes stumbling out. We get that scene with Flash and Mary it's Jane. when he's leaping across the rooftop. Yeah. And even then, it's not like it's attention is drawn to it, but it's there. Yeah. But really, the first time you get a good look at it is the point where Jonah gets a good look at it. Sure. That's fair. Um, it, it is... Attention is called to it in a very direct way when he when you get that you get the uh, sort of uh, shot reverse shot of Jonah looking terrified and then the man wolf growling. The problem is though we already know it's it's John Jameson because of the cover. Right. Y- yes, that they spoil their own uh, reveal. Yeah, it just ruins any kind of mystery. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I love about this issue is the way that J. Jonah Jameson can, on a dime, turn from panicked and terrified and desperate to angry and indignant and in charge of the situation. Yep. I love all the Jonah because we in this issue. that moment where he re- realizes what's going on. Yes. And suddenly his whole attitude toward both the fight and Spider-Man's uh, involvement in it totally shifts. Yes. And I agree, I, t- I really love, I-, I just love Jonah in this issue. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because in the team-up issue, we get a little bit of Jonah referenced. Like, in terms of his relationship to Peter Parker, being and Peter being sent on that, that trip. Um, but here, we don't get any of the park uh, of J. Jonah Jameson's professional relationship to Peter Parker. It is all about his relationship to Spider-Man. Yeah. Like, I just, I love the conversation between, uh, Jonah and, uh, uh, Robbie. Definitely. And I mean, we saw interaction with Peter and Jonah in the Marvel team up issue where Jonah was not very sympathetic to Peter Parker's loss. And I feel like, this Peter Parker in this comic would have possibly jumped across a desk at him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look at how he talks to MJ. Yep. It's not... He's definitely in a dark or, place. Yeah, or even the, the the way he... Like, he raises his fist at Flash. Yes. And I feel like part of that is that he seems to feel like he should be okay already. Right. That everyone else has moved on. Why hasn't he? And I'm like... No, there's no reason you should be okay yet. Mm-hmm. Nothing, there, there's nothing that make. No, man, it's the love of your life. It's only been two weeks. Nobody expects you to be okay. They're probably wondering, and, what the heck are you doing here? And on top of it, it's this weird sort of double or split. I, I don't know. Like, when he goes back to school and he tries to just have a normal day... He's simultaneously obsessed with the way everyone is looking at him and thinking about him and the and, and sort of his involvement in things, but also bitterly musing about how there's no way they could understand. So it's both that they're all paying too much attention to him and also 
that there's no way they can understand what's going on. Which, to be fair... That's a very human response. Yeah. It's not a rational response, though. Sure. Um, But especially in the heightened soap opera of Spider-Man comics, like, this all makes a lot of sense for for him as a character. I suppose. The high drama soap Uh, opera kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, because this is... uh, yeah, I, mean, I don't know. It, it's it feels very much of this era to me in terms of Spider-Man comics. I'm kind of upset that it's going to be a couple of episodes before we get to part two, right? Right. <laughs> but at the same time, it's a really enjoyable read. Yeah. One thing we haven't talked about yet uh, is we've got Man Wolf, who is sort of our second recurring werewolf character that we're going to get besides Werewolf by Night. Um, Visually, he's sort of, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, a different animal. Yes. He definitely has the more extended snout mm-hmm. and uh, kind of the pointier ears. And I kind of prefer this werewolf design. I like it. Now, it's sort of, if Werewolf by Night is the old-fashioned Lon Chaney-style werewolf, this is more like what you would later see in something like The Howling. Yes. It, it's more it's more dog-like. And of course, my mind goes to Earth-X, where I don't know if you remember, in Earth-X, uh, Jonah is living in the abandoned Daily Bugle offices, and he has uh, Jack Russell locked up in one of the offices, and he's taking care of him because he thinks it's John. Oh, I had forgotten that. Yes. He thinks that it's John. And in reality, John is on the moon. Right, because, spoiler warning, he becomes the star god. I've forgotten that. (laughs) Remember when Earth-X was such a big deal? I mean, yeah. (laughs) And now we're like, oh, I forgot that. I forgot that. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, so visually, I mean... It's the difference between, I guess, a werewolf and a man-wolf. Although it's funny that the one that has man in the title looks more, like, wolf-like. Yes. Um, but also, just, uh, he has an outfit. Uh, so, Werewolf by Night always just wears whatever tattered remains of his clothing uh, the artists give him to escape the censors. Uh, whereas, uh, man-wolf has this vaguely... It looks like something that a background character in a Flash Gordon serial would wear. Well, I think with Manwolf, they are definitely going more of the supervillain route. Right. Where he's he's built to be more of a supervillain character and possibly a recurring character, while Werewolf by Night sets off from the beginning to be a kind of horror character. Yeah. I mean, uh, allow me, if you will, to uh, propose an analogy. Okay. Um... Dracula is to Morbius as Werewolf by Night is to Manwolf. Perfect. I I would agree 100%. Up to and including with... Up to and including taking the the costume and and look of a more superhero, supervillain character and applying it to a monster. Agreed. What what I think will be interesting is if we get a crossover between Manwolf and Jack Russell. Oh, I'm sure we're going to. I mean, it has to happen at some point. But is it going to be in this era? Oh, that I don't know. Offhand, I'm not sure. It, um, it might be Cap Wolf. Mm. 
I only have a vague knowledge of what hap- what goes down in Cap Wolf, but I feel like both characters are in that. That would make sense. And we are a long way off from Cap Wolf. Yes, we are. Um, yeah, because for the longest time, even though Man Wolf is a monster, he is fairly constrained to the Spider-Man title. And then he gets, and then he goes into space. Then he goes cosmic. Yeah. Right. And he has kind of sword and sorcery type adventures, like John Carter style, which yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to reading because it's insane werewolf <laughs> sword and sorcery, which yep. is why we have comics. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's, if you cannot have a sword and sorcery comic where a werewolf goes into space to fight aliens, like, what even is the point of the medium? Exactly. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean... I think this is a really solid introduction to the character. Um, it's uh, We don't really have any hint yet at his origin besides the one-line mention of him being an astronaut. True. Which I feel like we're going um, to get more... But trust me, mm-hmm. we're going to get there, and it gets weird. I hope so, because I feel, <laughs> I feel like the astronaut angle plays a big part in his origin, which I assume we'll get next issue. Probably. I think this is going to be sort of like Morbius, where we're going to get an extended flashback. Which I'm fine with, because I really had fun with this issue. <laughs> yeah, and and we know that it has something to do with this gem, because it's constantly glowing and, and upsetting him. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I am enjoying this addition to both the Marvel uh, monster line and to the Spider-Man rogues gallery. I think he works well in both of those categories. Um, How insane would it be if Man-Wolf was the next villain in a Spider-Man movie? More likely that he would show up in Morbius, unfortunately. But think about it. That would be kind of perfect. Oh, yeah. Like, okay, bear with me. And guys, Uh if you've not seen Spider-Man Far From Home yet, I am going to discuss some spoilers. Yep. Warning, because we're going there. Yep. We avoided it in the intro. We did that much for you. Yep, but if you, again, guys, if you've not seen Spider-Man Far From Home, um, pause the podcast, um, go see, like, an early morning screening where it's five bucks a ticket, because it's a good movie, (laughs) we highly recommend it, but let's talk about spoilers. Yep, sure. So, like, Man-Wolf shows up to, man. okay, like, after the bombshell at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, where Jonah reveals... (laughs) Spider-Man's origin, or not, Spider-Man's secret identity yeah. to the world, yeah. Because Mysterio sent a message right before he died out that Spider-Man was responsible for the terrorist attack in London, right? Um, like I said, guys, huge fucking spoilers. Um, but what if the next villain is Man-Wolf, and Jonah and Spider-Man have to team up to get Man-Wolf? <clears throat> I mean. That would be fascinating. Um, also, another guy comes into town to hunt the man-wolf, and his name is Craven the Hunter. <laughs> I mean, I would buy a ticket to that. Because even even him being a terrorist, which, as of the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, most people are going to believe that Spider-Man is a terrorist. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'd have a hard time having Craven the Hunter hunt him as sport. Yes. At the same time, that might be the only scenario where that he'd be allowed to go hunt him as sport, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could, I mean, you could also always do, uh... 
I mean, there's a long history in comics and animation of uh, J. Jonah Jameson hiring people to hunt Spider-Man. True. So we're probably not going to get Manwolf. This issue references when he hired Luke Cage. Last issue. Yeah, this is literally yep. like two issues from the death of Gwen Stacy. We, we yep. had the death of Gwen Stacy. We had Luke Cage being hired to look into the death of Gwen Stacy. And now... And then Manwolf. We have this. Yep. With a brief diversion into 2-in-1 where he met a different werewolf. Marvel team-up. Oh, Marvel team-up. Sorry. Yes. It's fine. It happens. <clears throat> so many team-up books. So, yeah. Uh, Marvel team-up is Spider-Man's team-up book. 2-in-1 is the, the Thing's team-up book. The Thing. Yep. Which I've read a lot of issues for read along fantastic cast guys check it out good show yeah yeah <laughs> but so yeah I, I yeah but yeah this issue leaves me wanting more i'm really excited absolutely for this villain and that last panel is great where peter's spider sense is going off and he's not sure why and the man wolf is just lunging at him yep which actually we had a fairly similar cliffhanger when morbius showed up we did we did um, this time, and in both cases, it's because Peter is so preoccupied with other emotional stuff. Yes, which is understandable. Right. It's it, it, it really sucks that your girlfriend, the person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with, is suddenly dead. And again, Peter, no one expects you to be over this already. Right. It's okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and so, as with uh, Monsters Unleashed, uh, Frankenstein... This is not a. This doesn't feel like a complete story. However, I forgive it not being a complete story because it ends by saying we're gonna finish the story next issue. Yeah, and I guess the implication is there of monster uh, with the Frankenstein story and Monsters Unleashed, but by the same token, I, I also I also don't care what happens to Derek or Tisha. Right, like that's the thing is like if, if that story continues featuring any of the characters other than the monster that I've been introduced to in Monsters Unleashed, I could care less. Yeah. This th- th- this Spider-Man issue is definitely the meatier issue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's got plenty of action. It's got plenty of emotion. Um, it's got more J. Jonah Jameson content than you could ever hope for. Especially nowadays. Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um and I just, I love all these panels of Jonah looking terrified. Right. For for being Gil Kane artwork, I'm, I have noticed a surprising lack of up-the-nose shots, which I'm pleased with. Yes. Um, it's not, not my favorite. I mean, I, uh, I uh, prefer, like, I think my favorite, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think my favorite Spider-Man is probably Andrew, Ross Andrew. Okay. I was about to, as far as, as far as the the like classic era stuff. Okay, so I thought you were going to say Andrew Garfield for a second there, and I'm like, hold up, are you coming from a boy Tom Holland? I mean, nah, nah. I I actually don't hate the first Amazing Spider-Man movie the way some people do. It is far from perfect, but I don't hate it. But yeah, nah. But the MCU Spider-Man is 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 my favorite. Agreed. He he he's he he's really neat, and Tom Holland yeah. himself is just a great guy. Yeah, but no. In terms of uh, classic Spider-Man comics, uh, Ross Andrew is probably my favorite. Okay, I, I just love the the uh, way he draws Spider-Man contorting into different poses. I would go for Mita myself, but that's fun. 
Sure. No, Ramita, I mean, Ramita is probably the gold standard. Yeah. Although, as you know, I am reading Marvel from the beginning right now. Right. Whenever I get into long stretches of Steve Ditko artwork, Mm -hmm. I I get a greater appreciation of Steve Ditko as an artist. I like Ditko a lot. I, I think his art stands out far more than a lot of the other artists who came after him. And if we were to do the comparison, because it's been done before, between Ditko and Kirby, I think Ditko's people feel like real people before Kirby's people feel like real people. Yes. Do not get me wrong. Kirby does fantastic action and fantastic visuals. But as far as the interpersonal scenes, it takes Kirby a while to get to the point where he's really comfortable with those kind of personal scenes, mm-hmm. as opposed to Ditko, where Ditko's right. straight away. Which is kind of surprising now that I think about it, and somebody might argue with me, because, you know, the big thing that Kirby and uh, Joe Simon did before Marvel was romance comics. Right, right. Which is all about the social interaction and the little interpersonal scenes between the two. So I'm not sure where that's coming from, but again... You are very much drawn to the with the actual Kirby, but the kind of the real people thing of the of Ditko. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Ditko makes it way more about the personalities of the characters. You know, like uh, I don't know, like like for example, if you look at superheroes, just just like title character superheroes, like Captain America as a character. <clears throat> You know everything you need to know about him, really, just by looking at him, you know? Yes. But Spider, but Spider-Man, as a character, visually, just from the costume, all you know is that he has something to do with spiders. Yes. And he's, he's very enigmatic. Yeah, and so it becomes a lot more about posture and, and like, the context uh, in terms of figuring out these characters. And so some of that is because of the Stan Lee writing. You know, sort of fleshing out the characters. But um, Ditko, especially later in, in that run, was basically writing those books himself. Yes. Stan Lee, Stan Lee was filling in the bubbles, but but Ditko was plotting. Definitely. So, some things we should probably talk about in the rest of the magazine. rest of the book. Yeah. Because we can't say magazine anymore. Because we actually right. have mag- magazines we, we actually cover. Um, mm-hmm. In the bullpen... They do mention the death of um, Bill Everett. Right. Now, now if we may, we'd like to get serious for just a moment. This is the bullpen item we hoped we'd never have to write. Bill Everett, creator of Submariner and and a host of other great comic book heroes, passed away on February 27th last. Bill was known and loved by just about everyone in the comic world and was respected as few of his peers are respected. Rather than launching any lengthy eulogies here, something Bill wouldn't have wanted in any case, we'd prefer simply to refer you to the pages of Submariner number 65, now on sale, in which a final and well-earned tribute is paid to this most important of Marvel talents. This most kindly, most generous of men. We sort of think that's where Bill would have liked to be remembered. Which is interesting, and and of course it's sad, but it's interesting because they, they did note in, uh, Tales of the Zombie, that the reason they didn't have Bill Everett drawing the rest of the book is because he was ill. Yeah, yeah. And now as we see here, he has passed. Which, that's a, a really sort of 
sweet tribute to him that they that they wrote. Yeah. Also, they do hype up some of the Marvel horror books in this bullpen, mentioning mm-hmm. that Tomb Dracula Lives number three is on sale, and mentioning um, Tales of the Zombie number two is on its way, mm-hmm. and uh, mentioning a little thing in Strange Tales called Brother Voodoo. I am really looking forward to Brother Voodoo. It, 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 it's it's going to be an interesting book to, to look at. Yeah, I mean, in that I've honestly never read the original run, but I've always enjoyed that character's appearances in other comics. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. So, speaking of other comics, I think we have exhausted our look at Amazing Spider-Man 124 for this episode. So, let's go ahead and tell the lovely folks what we're going to be listening talking about next issue uh we have right. monster frankenstein number five adventures into fear number 16 and ghost rider number one he's finally escaped the spotlight <laughs> oh god i wasn't expecting that i am just i am you have no idea i am very happy that marvel spotlight is moving on to a different character because it feels like that comic had just become the Ghost Rider comic for a while. It did, but, um, spoilers, he's in the next issue, too. Damn it! Can't win. So... Oh, oh right, right, because he's going to make a cameo in uh, The Mark of Satan, right? Right. I think I saw an ad about that one. Oh, uh, yeah. So, anyway, if you want to share with us your thoughts on Ghost Rider, uh, Satan... Frankenstein, or any of the rest, you can, of course, always contact us at Tomb of Ideas on Twitter, uh, Tomb of Ideas at gmail.com, uh, Facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas, or you can uh, yell on your rooftops and maybe we'll hear you. Right. Um, cast some sort of arcane summoning spell. It, you know, it, go it's it. worked for us if you're looking for a co host. Yeah, I mean, we have had amazingly good results with uh, with uh, summoning spells lately. Yeah. Um, also, uh, as always, we are part of the uh, Cinepunks podcast group. Um, so please do uh, check out their other content in addition to our show. Um, they have movie reviews on Cinepunks.com, along with other in-depth articles about film, music, television, pop culture, uh, at large, um, and they have other great podcasts, uh, such as Cinepunks, Horror Business, uh, The Flight Stuff, the, uh, their Alpha Flight podcast, uh, and, and many others. So uh, give them a listen and read as well, um, and make sure that uh, if you really feel strongly about our show, uh, please like us, rate us, review uh so hit that subscribe button. All of those things help us in the algorithms uh, and and help get uh, new people to see that our show exists. Uh, we couldn't do this without your support. No, we could not. Anyway, folks, that does it for another episode of Tomb of Ideas. Until next time, Tomb Believers, good night. Good night. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a marvel horror podcast until next time tomb members excelsior <laughs>
And su- supposedly, uh, and this is still just rumor, but it's rumor based on some products that were accidentally posted to Target. Um, supposedly, the Criterion Collection's 1,000th DVD Blu-ray release is going to be a box set called Godzilla the Showa Error Era. And to what degree are you going to lose your shit? Oh, I, um, like, if I cannot afford that set, I will, like, steal it, probably. <laughs> you mean piracy, right? Not like you walk into a Best Buy with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 the gun. Oh, God. The whole point of Criterions is having the physical thing. Oh, God. I'm just imagining a mugshot of you with a Criterion box <laughs> clutched in your hands. It's like, we tried... Because those cops wouldn't get it out of my hands. No. They, they might take me, but I'm not giving it up. They're going to tase you, they beat you. <laughs> Once you have your hands on it, you're not letting it go. <laughs> exactly. 